0: Hello and welcome everyone to the No Outlet podcast and we have got another first tonight on the No Outlet podcast folks. We have the world premiere coming up later in the show of an original comedy song that no one's ever heard live and we're going to play it for you. I am very excited. I want you to be excited too. And as you all know, I'm a huge fan of improv in all forms and our guest tonight has been an improviser for 19 years he trained with the I.O. and the Annoyance, both in Chicago. He's performed at the Lowell Comedy Festival, the Columbus is Funny Festival, the Chicago Improv Festival, the Dramatic Improv Festival, and he is one of the geniuses that helps to run Stranger Than Fiction improv and comedy based right in Manchester, New Hampshire. So without any further ado, please give a warm, no outlet welcome. To mike McCarron from stranger than fiction improv mike how are you i'm doing
1: great thanks for having me
0: absolutely uh so mike we're going to play a game called 20 questions and the game it. It, it always starts the exact same place and that's question number one question number one can improv save the world
1: gosh i hope so uh <laughs> A long time ago, I used to. um, I I did improv in college at UNH, and I started like dabbling, going down to Boston and doing you know shows at Improv Boston, like splitting uh, bills with other teams and things like that. Mm -hmm. And other teams were so weird to me. Uh, we get down there and warm up with them, and they'd be like, we're just doing this because it's cheaper than therapy. What about you guys? And we'd just be like, what? <laughs> uh, we're trying to be funny, I guess. We think we're kind of funny. Um, so, I mean, it never even dawned on me that that it could have that kind of value, but I think uh, it doesn't stand in for therapy, but it's certainly therapeutic. Yes. Um, it's uh, Yeah, it has you – Think in a different way. It lets you like play. Um, I kind of think of it like, you know, when you're a kid and you're on the T ball team or something, uh, it feels cool to be a part of an organization and you get to have your ice cream party afterwards, probably win or lose, depending on the team. And, um, in improv, you know, you get to work with other people. You're, you know, working toward a common goal. And, uh, and it certainly, saves my world a lot of the time it'd be a lot more boring without it so i'm gonna say yes
0: i love that i agree and you know if you think about it it's like you know I, i mean there are book clubs there are you know sewing clubs there's all different types of clubs and to me if you're in an improv group or taking improv lessons you're just like in a in a silly club almost it's like you're just going to have fun and see how you can interact in a way that's going to build something out. So I absolutely am with you on that one. So you mentioned UNH and that you took classes there. So why don't we get into the next question? How did you get involved? Walk us through how you got involved with improv.
1: Oh, man. Um, So the first weekend I was at UNH, they have kind of a whole program of events for incoming freshmen Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the events was uh, a show with the improv team. And I I saw it and, you know, I had watched Whose Line Is It Anyway as a kid. Um, And I was instantly jealous of of everything that they were doing. Right. And I ended up auditioning and getting like flatly rejected. But I, um, there was like a audio visual club. And there are people there, like, making their own videos and TV stuff. I was kind of into that in high school. So I started, uh, like, doing little voiceover things and videos. And some of the people there were like, we love your voiceovers. Would you be willing to be the voice of God in our upcoming Christmas improv show? And I was like, amazing. Um, And they just kind of handed me the microphone and didn't – they. I don't know. They didn't plan it very well because I had all the control being the one with the microphone. <laughs> you are God <laughs> and, uh, after all, you know? Yeah, I, I was God and I would like make them do little things in between their improv games. And they were like, we were really worried for a while there, but it ended up going okay. And I think that that like put me on the radar of the team. And the next time I tried out, I ended up making it. So, uh, I don't know. Sometimes you just, uh, you keep at it and, and, uh, and something goes your way because yeah. oh, I was so crushed when I didn't make it. So good that I found something else to do and it ended up helping me get back in there.
0: There you go. Absolutely. Um, so then at some point you, from, from that point on, you studied in Chicago. It sounds like, like what, how'd you get out to Chicago?
1: Ooh, um, how long of a story am I allowed to tell? I There's no time limits. It, no time of it. Uh, well, how boring of a story. Uh, so I, I ended up uh, going to grad school in Ohio at Ohio State, sure. the Ohio State University, and um, did some improv there, had a great time doing it. And I just thought, you know, I'm more than halfway to Chicago. And it was always a dream of mine and of lots of other people who ended up kind of abandoning it. I just felt like I owe it, I owe it to myself and I owe it to everybody else. Yeah. And so I, uh, I moved out um, from, from Columbus when I was done with grad school and decided to, you know, give classes at Iowa a shot. I had a friend or two out there that were sort of doing the same thing. And it just felt like the right move.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. And so then what happened between, like, how did you, did you, I'm assuming that you were one of the founders of Stranger Than Fiction. I know you help run it now, but is that, is that an over assumption?
1: Um, it is an over assumption. I, I know some of the founders. I actually, um, I mentioned Improv Boston before. The reason that I got to go down there is because right around when Stranger Than Fiction was being founded, Mm -hmm. um, there was like a previous group that ended up splintering into two and I was there at the audition for their last group before they broke up. Hmm. And I was the only person that showed up at this audition and I didn't get, I didn't get the audition, but the, one of the splinter groups was like, we liked you and we're a house team at improv Boston. So come join us. And, and I was like, that's amazing. And so um I, in, in a parallel universe, I could have been one of the either founding members or members that was there sort of towards the beginning. Right. But no, but no. Um. Yeah, right now I'm just the education director. Um. But yeah, it's something that we sort of pass uh, every six months or so. Sure. We we try to get someone else sort of in, in charge or, you know, we have different roles that you can be in charge of and we do little elections and stuff like that. But it's, it's basically we pass the torch around. So no one person is, is always, you know, having to run things and not getting to do the fun stuff.
0: Right. That's a great concept for two reasons. Number one, because the person doesn't get burdened with all the, the work, but also because everyone feels like they're going to be, you know, uh, in that role so they can kind of think about, well, if, if I ever had the chance to do that, I would do this because who exactly. knows, it, it might be their turn. So that's cool. Um. So rank in order of overall cultural impact, if you will, the following. U2, Robert, Robert De Niro, <laughs> Seinfeld, and the Taco Bell $2 Chalupa.
1: Now, are these for like my cultural impact on me or just in the world?
0: Well, I mean, you can expand it to the world, right? Cause that's why I'm asking you, but you, if you want to bring it down as narrow as your universe, that's totally fine with me too.
1: Oh gosh. All right. Let's see. Um, I've never had a $2 Chalupa, so Fair. that would
0: probably go at the bottom.
1: Um, I'm not a big YouTube person, but I think that, their music from the 80s slash late 70s was good. My, I had siblings that were way older than me, like more than 10 years. Mm-hmm. And they used to listen to some U2. So it was, it was there in the background. Some of it kind of seeped in. Uh, I think Robert De Niro is really good in a lot of movies. I haven't seen too many that I haven't enjoyed. So I'll probably put him up top. Am I missing one?
0: Uh, Seinfeld. The T V show.
1: Oh, Seinfeld. Gosh. Uh well I loved Seinfeld and for years I would like watch it to go to sleep and kind of just fall asleep uh watching all those episodes. Yeah. Jerry Seinfeld kind of annoys me now, but I love the show.
0: (laughs) Okay, so I think what I heard was one Robert De Niro, two Seinfeld, three U two four Chalupa, which I Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's the correct answer. I agree. That's the correct answer. Oh, yes, you got it. I got it. <laughs> uh, question number five, I guess. Uh, Hablas español. Hablo
1: español, sí.
0: Sí, uh, hablo español un poquito solamente. Oh well, uh, donde aprendiste tu español. Uh, that's where you see that. That's the un poco part right there. So you, I think what you asked me was, how did I learn it, or where did I learn it? Where did you learn it? Yeah. Yeah. So I I knew what you asked me. See, and that's the problem. It's like I could probably get along if I had to, you know, speaking Spanish, but I could never get new like into a debate at all um, because I understand what's being said. But then it would take me a year to come up with the right um, response. And I I think it's pretty cool. Like, you know, that my understanding is that you not only do improv in English, but you also Am I wrong in saying you do improv in Spanish too?
1: It's been a few years, but uh, in Chicago, I was in a group called Orchata, and we did improv in, in Spanish, sometimes in Spanglish. Wow. There were, you know, different people in the group at different comfort levels. And so we kind of just allowed it to sort of be whatever it was. Uh, It was super fun.
0: All right. So I got a nerdy question for you then. So, is it tough? Is there a lost in translation aspect to comedy when you're trying to do improv, but you're also trying to speak in what is not your native tongue? And I'm assuming it's in front of a group of people that Spanish is their at least you know first language or at least equivalent to, right? You're not, <laughs> per- you're not performing to a bunch of people that only speak English, right?
1: Well, there have been times where we've done it for people that only speak English and, you know, you modulate, uh, you know, you try to speak a little slower, you try to use lots of cognate words. Um, <clears throat> but there, there've been a lot of shows where, you know, people in the group who, who, you know, had family in Chicago that were also Spanish speakers, their family would show up. So, uh, yeah, sometimes it was sort of a mixed crowd and you wanted to sort of maybe play up certain things. So, you know, this crowd's going to get this slang word and this crowd's going to, you know, need us to slow it down or like really be repetitive with certain things. But that's where like clowning, physical comedy, mm-hmm. um, things like that, like and I think improv in general, like you want certain parts of what you're doing to be very relatable so people can understand what they're seeing. And they can get why it's funny. Right. Uh, And I I think a lot of people, just in any kind of improv, uh, like they get so up in their heads and they they think it's this like big mystery and they get tied up in knots about how to do it right or be funny or what's the funniest thing to say right now. I think it's really just like give them a relatable scene and, and respond, you know, how that character would respond accurately and you're doing it right and it's brilliant.
0: Right, and the rest is going to come. The, the, the funny part will, will just magically – it'll magically happen.
1: Yeah, just from, like, collaborating and, like, discovering that thing, like, oh, whoa. didn't know it was going to go there, but that's great.
0: Right, absolutely. So you just said something uh, that's interesting. You know, you said, you know, let people understand why it's funny. So my next question for you is do you remember the first movie that you saw when you were younger – where you thought to yourself, okay, now I understand why. Because sometimes when you're a kid, you watch movies, like an older brother, parents, whatever, and they're laughing, but you're not really sure if you understand why it's funny. (laughs) But then there's that moment in time where you're watching, you know, a show or a movie and you're like, okay, now I understand why that was funny to my uncle Ted. And now it's funny to me too. It's almost like when your sense of humor gets flipped on. Do you remember if there was a movie or a TV show that did that for you?
1: That is a good question. Um, man, I, I totally remember the sensation that you're talking about. I remember, you know, being the youngest and like, as I said, my siblings are like more than 10 years older than me. So there'd often be, you know, something on and the whole family's watching and everyone's laughing and I'm just like, what did I miss? But uh, I don't know. There used to be uh, reruns of Night Court on when I was pretty little. And uh, I can distinctly remember uh, some episode where there's this prankster and he pranks the male lawyer so that, like, like inflatable boobs happen uh, to him or something like that and like his shirt is expanding and he goes oh I've been booby trapped and I was like I get that I get why that's funny um and I don't know how old I was maybe like 7 or 8 or something but I'm like I get that
0: yeah yep, totally
1: I I can't say when I when I got all the the more adult jokes it was probably sort of a gradual experience but right. that's a good question
0: yeah, it's That's like – I always think my dad was like a big uh, – it, It's he's not a popular guy now, but Woody Allen, you know, um, he's had a r- couple of rough patches. But back in the 70s, before all the bad stuff came out, he was just a funny guy from New York, and uh, my dad loved all of his movies. And I remember sometimes watching movies, having him laugh, and not getting it, and going back and watching it myself and saying, okay, what was that? So it was almost like I was given the answers to the test of uh. – uh, same with like Benny Hill. Benny Hill was on – Uh, Monty Python, which is harder to decipher, but I just remember watching all this stuff and then trying to reverse engineer, like, wait a minute, why was that funny? And um, then there's that watershed moment when you and your friends are, like, you know, watching something together, and you all laugh at the same time. It's like, oh, we all get it now. You know, so it's uh, it's cool to have that happen. Uh, What are your thoughts on The Herald?
1: Ooh, The Herald. I... The first thing I think of is whoosh. Uh, And if you've ever taken a Harold class in Chicago, um, they all, almost all, uh, you know, Harold starts off with sort of a a group sort of, it's not even a scene really. I forget what they call it, but most of the time it's some kind of like Like mechanical dragon. Yeah. Like the opening is usually like people like, making some kind of machine and they all end up looking around and going whoosh whoosh uh, and it just, it just happened so many times and it, it just became like this really corny thing um, to the point where I think a lot of the people in our classes did, didn't want to do that part of the Herald. Uh, we all wanted to be on Herald teams and and you know do the, the beats but, but yeah those uh, sandwiching bits of the Herald especially the opener were just kind of tedious yeah um i think the herald is good i've seen some great heralds where you know it's it reminds me of a seinfeld episode if you're gonna um you know if i can bring that back Mm -hmm. where you have you know the beginning of one thing the beginning of another thing the beginning of a third thing and then we see a little bit of continuing action of all three and then, like the solution to problem A has something to do with what's going on in and scene C, yep, and, totally. and the solution to problem B maybe wraps in problem A, and uh, and you never saw it coming, but it always happens that same formulaic way. But it never feels formulaic, and I think that's the brilliance of it. Yeah, uh, that that there can be a formula that that doesn't feel predictable and formulaic is is a real win. Uh, so when it's done right, it's amazing. Um, when it's done wrong, I, I've seen so many that haven't kind of worked. And, you know, that just comes from anything that you have to workshop and practice for years.
0: But, yeah. Oof. No, totally. Yeah, I love that Seinfeld uh, example. In fact, uh, the woman, uh, Sarah Klaspell, who taught me uh, 101 with UCB, she used the exact same example. She's like, go back and watch Seinfeld and just you'll see that each one of their episodes is a, is a version of the Herald. And a, another person that uh, I respect uh, immensely, Sebastian canelli he, he told me once that, you know, the Herald is almost like CrossFit for improv. It's like it's not always fun to watch uh, and it's not fun to do necessarily, but it's one of those things where if you do it a lot, you can get, you know, certain uh, – habits established so that when you do other types of improv, you can rely on the stuff that you were doing, you know, when you were practicing, you know, a Herald. And uh, I thought that was, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah,
1: absolutely. Just like resolving stories, calling back to other things and just using what the, what the other scenes are doing, I think are so important in Herald. So yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. you're
0: uh, here, Here's a question here. Uh, is an improv team uh, in, in your in your opinion in your history your experience is an improv team like a sports team and that you know there have been teams that have bu- you know tried to buy the best team and and whether it's a soccer team or a basketball team or a baseball team you buy all the best free agents and you don't always have the best team because you don't have the best chemistry right you need that chemistry you need the person that's going to be the glue and you need your superstars but then you need your your role players do you think that an improv team is the same way and that if you went out and got quote unquote the best improvers and put them on one team that you'd have uh, a chemistry problem? Or do you think that you could in fact go make like a super improv team just by grabbing the best improvers?
1: Wow. I've never thought of that in my life. That's a good question. I think, Hmm. Hmm. You know, sometimes being in Chicago, the best improvisers don't always have the best show. Yep. Uh, you know, you can go and see TJ and Dave, and I do think that you know, they're worth all the praise that they get, but sometimes they have an off night just like anybody. That's right. Um, but having those two big names together, it's, it definitely puts butts in the seats. And, uh, and I think when people pay for a show, they're looking to have a good time. And I think it can kind of like grease the wheel of laughter a little bit. If you just believe that these people are going to be great, they're going to be funny. Whereas if it's some no name improvisers, they got to do a little bit of work to convince you first. Right. And uh, so, you know, if it was like sports and everybody knew they're like, Oh, these are the five funniest people. We've all heard of them. We love them. Then audience might be a little bit more sympathetic and that helps the, the team get going. You know, they, they, they're fueled by what the audience is doing,
0: Interesting,
1: but maybe over the long run, what you're saying, like, you know, like poor chemistry, I think that could absolutely affect a group. Too many egos, too many people want to steer the ship in different directions. Oh, we don't want to do a Harold anymore. We want to do this other form, right. but we're Harold team. Uh, I, I think it could really depend on the mix and chemistry is absolutely important. Um, you got to feel comfortable with who you're working with. You got to know the boundaries. You can't like overstep with someone and expect them to trust you later on. And so you all have to feel comfortable and safe. Uh, Cause you're being really goofy and you, know maybe you're going to, you know, uh, do you dive into somebody's arms? Can they catch you? Or are they, right. are they going to know that you're not going to like push too hard? Are they going to know that you're not going to try to like lift them up when they, explicitly (laughs) hate it when people do that. Uh, that's a tough question. That's a good one though.
0: Yeah. Gosh. Um, what's the most annoying driving habit?
1: The most annoying driving habit. Um, people not staying in the lines all the time. I, people are like coming in the lane at me and then like, I'm driving right at them. I'm like, do you not see me? And then they slowly drift back as I'm like, like with two wheels off the road just to stay out of their way. Uh, I feel like it happens all the time. Uh, I live in Kittery and we get some, uh, some woodsy roads and stuff
0: like that. And, yeah. Yeah. Do you know why that happens? That happens because people are, everybody's texting all the time and it's horrifying. <laughs> like I drive on 95 to work every day and every day I see somebody next to me who has literally one hand on the wheel and one hand on a phone and I, and I just can't I can't believe it but it's it's really what's happening out there um, where what, do you work I work in uh, Seabrook New Hampshire
1: oh I work in Hampton so I <laughs> we, we might take the same route
0: so you know that road yeah I mean it's it, at, at its best it's nice and orderly and, and great and then at its worst it's like you know similar to 495 which is a whole different story um, what, uh, what book are you reading now
1: oh man you know, it's been a while since I picked it up and I was just looking over and noticing it a couple of hours ago, saying, like, I really need to to get back into this book. Uh I, I really like reading like fantasy novels like Tolkien and things like that mm-hmm. but uh the Spanish versions of them and oh. um and so I'm on this series, um the the malazan book of the fallen by steven erickson and i can't even tell you what book i'm on there's so many of them i think it's maybe book eight right now Whoa. and uh i really love the story but sometimes the whole world building thing can get a little slow yeah. and i was i hit a lull somewhere a few months back and i just haven't picked it up but yeah. i'd really love to finish because most of the story is, is incredible to me.
0: That's amazing. So you read in Spanish. So you're obviously Spanish is a big part of your life. Like how did that happen? You just, did you just love the language? Did you go to a Spanish speaking country? Like what was, yeah, okay.
1: I, I studied abroad three times. Oh, I wow. spent a year in Spain, summer in Mexico, summer in Nicaragua. Uh, I I got a a, a a small collection of master's degrees in Spanish Holy moly. Um, wow. And I've, I've taught Spanish for almost 20 years. Amazing. And um, yeah, so improv in Spanish, it seemed like natural fit. That's yeah. why I was so psyched to, uh, to do improv in Spanish Sorry. when I was in Chicago. It just felt like marrying my, my two passions.
0: One of my favorite teachers ever, her name was Mrs. Modern in Portsmouth high school. And she taught. Uh, I I took Spanish for the first time because I went to Rye and all they had was French and I hated it. So I took Spanish, loved it. She took a trip, uh, took a class trip to Spain. Uh, So I went to Spain with a bunch of kids from St. Thomas and a bunch of other schools. Loved it. Went to Tormelenos, Madrid, Barcelona, all over the place. And ended up sticking with Spanish. I went to Mexico seven times. So I, I, I love the Mexican language. I love that my, Uh, My daughter just got back from Guatemala, Guatemala, actually. Uh, She took eight years of Spanish and can't say anything other than what's your phone number, Um, (laughs) which I'm very proud of. Um, And and she's going to hear this and and she's going to hate to hear that, but it's the truth. Uh, I love Spanish. Great language. I, I think it's the, I think it's the most, like I, you know, when you think about how languages are crafted, like English is a tough language to learn because there's no real structure. But from my perspective, like the Spanish language in terms of being able to learn it, it just makes such logical sense. And the root words are all, you know, based in, in Latin root words. So I, I took mm-hmm. Latin for a year too. So I, it's a great language. I love it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I could go on and on. If you want me to like geek out about words and <laughs> etymology or anything like that, but I don't want to be really. <laughs> that
0: sounds like a separate podcast.
1: Hey, well, I'm here for that, too. All right. I'm here for
0: that, too. Um, So we need your help with something, uh, and we need your input on this. uh, It's a really big problem, and we're hoping to solve it. Um, Have you ever seen or heard of the Jeep Wave?
1: Okay, I think I know what you're talking about. Okay, Um, good. Oh, hang on a second. Yeah. I had an alarm on my phone going (laughs) off. Well, that's always fun during yeah, a podcast. Yeah, um, so my sister had a Wrangler for a couple of years.
0: Oh, yeah. There it is. That's the one.
1: Um, it did not have power steering, and she was teaching me how to drive with it, and I took it right into a tree around a really, really sharp turn.
0: No way.
1: Yeah, I was like turning, turn, like hand over hand over hand. And she's like, all right, now give it some gas. And I'm like, well, I don't think I turned the wheel back enough. And she's like, just give it some gas. And I did it right into the tree. Oh I was like, God. see, I told you I didn't turn it back enough. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think it, they do like the little, uh, I, don't, I don't know specifically what it is. Um, just a little wave to yeah. other people with Jeeps or is it all Jeeps or is it?
0: No, see, that's the problem. It's, it's very elitist. And, and the problem with it is that it's only for people that have Wranglers. Now, if you've got a Sahara, if you've got a Renegade, if you've got a Cherokee, if you've got any other type of Jeep, you don't belong to this special club. And wow. yeah, and it's really it, it's, it's a form of class warfare. And, and, it, and it has to stop. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's gotten beyond. And my girlfriend has a Jeep. So I I see this all the time. And anytime I drive her Jeep around and she's not in the car, someone tries to give me the Jeep wave. I'm just flipping them off. I'm just like, no, I'm not going to play the game. This is not a Jeep wave friendly Jeep. Um, And if you go to a Jeep dealership, if you buy a Wrangler, they actually train you on how to do the Jeep wave. Like, you know, keep your hand in the wheel, put two hands up like a peace sign or do the surf sign. It's, it's a whole cult. Uh, And the problem is that if you think about it, there are so many Wranglers out there, they, I mean, it's like, why not do that for every car? Like, why not just wave to everybody? Like, why why does it have to be just the, the Wranglers? Then you're making an assumption that I like this person, and I'm going to wave to them that's, because because they have a Wrangler. But guess what? Chances are you don't. Like that no,
1: person. that's the club I want to be in, though. The club where you have to wave at every single car that goes by. <laughs> right.
0: Hi! Hello! How are you? Every single person. Like why not? Oh, God. absolutely. Um, okay. So, of all the places that you've studied improv, you've studied. I mean, obviously, everything from UNH to Chicago, uh, Stranger Than Fiction. Was there um, an environment that you felt like, wow, this is like a challenging place to learn? These guys are serious. Like <clears throat> less joking, less kind of like let's have a good time and, and do improv, and more militaristic and like, no, we're taking this serious. Like this is, we're going to learn how to do improv the right way. And there's no effing around. Like, is there, Dang. do you, do you remember a situation like that?
1: So um, a lot of people, you know, they do improv in college and it's mostly short form, especially, you know, the further away from Chicago you are, you know, it's whose line is it anyway style stuff. But then the closer to Chicago or, you know, and I don't know about everywhere in the world, but I know um, that a lot of places that are kind of aware of IO, Second City, we'll try to do some long form stuff. Um, but when you get to Chicago and and you start taking classes at IO, for example, and you, you know, they kind of deprogram a lot of the stuff that you learn from just you know doing short form stuff. Yep. Um I took I took a class level 3. Um Dave Asher was the coach or the, or the, the teacher of the class. I guess to name names. And more people cried and dropped that class oh than God. in any other class I've ever taken. And he I just remember <laughs> and I I think that he's brilliant on some level but I don't know that he has like um, that human touch, you know, Yeah, maybe he doesn't <laughs> totally have that human touch, or like just to understand that, like, we want these people coming back, we appreciate their business or whatever, but he's just brutally honest. Right. And sometimes it would be like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, gosh, this person's going to cry. Wow. I might cry for them, but <laughs> I feel so embarrassed. Oh, uh, and sick. I really feel like they. they dripped down everything that I knew, especially in that level. And it was like, you were so scared to get up there and make a mistake that you just, I just froze a lot. And sometimes I would go up there and somehow it would be amazing. And he'd be like, that was wonderful. And then I'd be like, that's so great that it was wonderful, but I have no idea what I did or why it was good. Um, and And it can really mess with your head if you're just like, feeling like it's just a roll of the dice. Um, and so, yeah, some people just got it and they were amazing and everyone, everyone that didn't was super jealous of them. That, that sort of felt like the closest thing to what you're talking about. Yeah. And yeah, I do think we lost five or six people from the original 18 Dang. by the end of the class.
0: That's brutal. I I've never heard something like that. That's uh the tough stuff there, but, uh, you know, I guess he's made a name for himself as the the hardest improv coach, right? Um there he is. Uh what type of well, music? Like, <laughs> I'm not sure if that's what he's going for or not, but you know, maybe he's not the toughest, maybe there's somebody even even worse. Gosh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know, but
1: that yeah, that was my my worst or like toughest
0: it. experience. I like it. Uh what type of music do you listen to?
1: Oh man, so much. Uh I was a a radio DJ at WUNH for six or seven years and it opened, opened the world to me. Um, I love indie rock, um, space rock, ambient music. Yeah. Um, uh, like anything underground in high school, I listened to a lot of like pop punk music. Um, um, gosh, folk, just lots of stuff. I try to dabble in as much as I can. Anything I like, I try to put it on some kind of Spotify playlist somewhere so that it's not lost. Yeah. Um, really tons and tons of things. Um, yeah, that's a hard question. I'm the kind of guy where I'll step into a music store and I just like, the choices are overwhelming and I don't really know where to start.
0: Yeah, no, I, I get it. I used to love... UNH, I went to Plymouth, I was a DJ there for four years, it was so much fun, it was before, I'm a little bit older, it was before uh, CDs were the norm, we had all vinyl, we had like maybe 100, maybe 50 CDs, something like that, but I remember always, um, when I drove home, I used to love getting in the range of UNH, it was 91.3 if I'm not mistaken, something like that? Yep. And it was great because you never knew, like, they always had, like, the Saturday morning, they had the polka show, which was kind of unique, but then they had, like, a great reggae show, they had, you know, always had the underground, but then there was, like, you know, somebody who would have an hour, and it would be rockabilly, right? And it was, like, it it didn't really, it wasn't like your traditional college radio. I felt like it was a lot more uh, widespread in terms of the uh, musical taste that were being represented so i always I, I, I loved UNH radio for that reason it was great
1: yeah it was it was kind of freeing you know at first uh, you know you get there they train you and they tell you basically the rule is if they play it somewhere else we don't want you to play it here Like <laughs> right. you're trying to give people that don't have a platform a platform and sometimes I would get yelled at for like something that was a little bit famous or whatever but it did force me to really sort of dive into all the music that they have there and they have a huge library uh, and we would have vinyl weeks and I'd have to dig in only to the records and that was kind of a fun experience like I wasn't really good at using a record player before that handling records and all that stuff I think a lot of you know kids especially nowadays don't really know how to do that unless they have vinyl
0: at home yeah absolutely Um, All right, so Stranger Than Fiction has a, I think it's a new show. If it's not new, please correct me, um, called No Clue. And I wonder if you can uh, tell our good folks in the studio audience here and those listening at home a little bit about No Clue and where you guys got the idea.
1: Uh, No Clue was David Chevalier's idea. Uh, It is uh, sort of a, a murder mystery inspired by the movie clue inspired by sort of what we felt was possible on the stage um and just sort of evolved as we were making it lots of silliness um lots of dummies being thrown as the lights come up and uh just yeah (laughs) it was quite an experience uh I think it was only a, a two run sort of show, but maybe we'll pull it back. Um, we, we did it in the Nasson little theater. Um, I want to say, when did we do it first? Maybe December. And it, it was great, great show, super fun. And we did it at a retirement home in Durham, which was a totally different ball game. Um, this is a theater space that, uh, made us keep the lights on at all times. Uh, the house lights were always on. They were just as bright on the audience as wow. they were on us. There was feedback in the microphones and we had to use the microphones the whole time because you know, a lot of the audience was hard of hearing. Yeah, It's just it's like the, everything that could have gone wrong seemed like it went wrong the second time we did it. But oh, the first time was, was a hoot. It was really fun. Yeah. <clears throat>
0: That's cool. So, speaking of Stranger Than Fiction, uh, how can people find out like what you guys are have going next? Um, you guys are probably coming out of the COVID uh, slumber, which is good. Do you guys have classes. Do you guys have regular shows? Tell the good people how they can learn more about uh, what you guys are up to. Well,
1: stfimprov.com is our website, um, and Stranger Than Fiction. Uh STF Improv is kind of how you find us on Instagram or Facebook. And those three places are great uh, places to start. We like to post about our weekly, well, it's monthly now, monthly jams. The first Thursday of every month in Newmarket, we do a jam. Um, and we post our shows. Our next show is April 22nd. We're going to be here in Portsmouth at the New Hampshire Theater Project. And classes are upcoming. We haven't listed it yet, but I want to say the second Wednesday in April, April 12th, we're going to have a 101 intro to Yes And class. And maybe we're looking to do more musical improv. I myself am looking to maybe do just a one-off workshop. I, I really like doing sort of scene work things and like sort of I call it improv hygiene, like the basic habits of a good improviser that you can use, so that you're always uh, doing your best to sort of connect with the other person or people up top, and you know ensure that you get the best uh, chance at a good scene.
0: Yeah. Now, but yeah, uh,
1: I'd say Facebook, Instagram, and the website are are definitely the best ways to sort of keep tabs on us.
0: Perfect. And for those of the people out there listening that don't know what an improv jam is, what exactly is an improv jam?
1: Improv jamboree, it's, you know, a few of us, sometimes just one of us, we go out there and we host and anybody is, you know, anybody at all can, can show up. It's free to the public. It's open. Um, They go from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. They're in the, the mill building. The mill space in Newmarket, New Hampshire, and basically we have a, like a mini curriculum. Get some uh, warm-up activities, some exercises to get people thinking about some different aspect of improv, and then we do things to practice them. And it totally depends on the person that's running it. But sometimes we're just playing improv games. Sometimes we're doing scenes. Sometimes we're learning, uh, you know, a little bit of a form or something like that. But it's really Uh, totally just free and open and usually changes depending on like the level of the people that are there. So uh, just trying to get as many people involved as possible, building up the community is is our number one concern, especially me as the education director. I'm trying to get as many people learning improv so we can have more people doing this, more people auditioning and, eventually replacing us and keeping the community going or even forming their own teams and, you know, doing shows with us, splitting the bill. However it happens,
0: yeah, that's we just cool. want as
1: many people doing it as we can have.
0: Super cool. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, we have got a world premiere uh, and instead of me butchering what I this forgot. is, yeah, no, here we are. Um, <laughs> and, and instead of me butchering what it is and trying to pretend like I know the origination and, and, and what this is all about, I'm going to let you uh, talk about it a little bit. So, so please.
1: Okay, so uh, the song is called "The Safety Rap. Uh, I wrote it with a couple of my friends, um, to uh, one former Stranger Than Fiction member and one other current member. John Wellington is the uh, current and uh, Andrew Mitchell the former member and this is back when we were uh, in a different group about a while back and uh, and I I happened to have a roommate at the time and uh, she Left her hair dryer plugged in, like right next to the shower, and I realized like this is really close for an outlet to be to the shower. And I could read, you know, those hair dryers have the long like tags with oh, the yeah. warning labels. And I just started reading the warning label, and I'm realizing like this kind of rhymes, and I can make it into a song. So I just took all the warning labels that I could uh, and turned them into this song. And uh, eventually, when I was at uh, Ohio State in grad school, I met this guy, Matthew Carpenter. He was a musician. He made music. And he's like, I want to record this song. I want to make it. Let's make it. So he and I um, produced the song together. And I wrote the song with Andrew Mitchell and John Wellington. It's uh, inspired by warning labels that I read in the shower. And it's called The Safety Wrap
0: inspiration comes from so many different places folks and and the song is proof of that so without any further delay here is uh the safety wrap let's make sure this is all wired for something right we are we are
2: As cause cancer in laboratory animals During use, keep away from water Store at 40 degrees or hotter Do not use when wet Keep away from children and pets, yo Consult your physician if you get blurry vision Children under 18 need the parents' permission Keep your tray and your chair in the upright position If you don't, you're headed for a suicide mission Safety what safety what? make love caution warning danger danger don't let your kids talk to strangers child protected for your protection please listen careful follow directions stop using product if you suffer from any of the following or all of the above cancer of the liver cancer of the face painful rash in your bathing suit place common side effects include shortness of breath and misuse could result in fire or death
0: safety dancing ain't safe enough. That, uh, <laughs> th- 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 there's, there's no way to refute that logic. Um, <laughs> it, it, that's it's got a little bit of different, like when I hear that, it's like, I hear a little bit of Depeche mode. I hear a little bit of like Beck. I hear a little like nine inch nails. Like, uh, I, I can tell that that's an eclectic uh, music fan right there that helped to write that. So.
1: Oh um, yeah. I, yeah. I couldn't have done half that without him. Uh, and uh, I've been told that I channeled the Beastie Boy. I'm not sure which one, uh, but
0: it I was think that sounds like fun MCA, to Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> well, let me tell you something. If you could see the audience here, you'd be so happy because they are they're on their feet, um, they're they're doing the wave. They're very excited. Thank they're, you. they're asking me where they can buy that song, and I'm going to tell them afterwards. Um, and, and I really appreciate you taking the time to be, uh, you know, on the show. And, and guys, if you're interested in getting into improv, uh, go check them out. I, I actually have taken a class with Stranger Than Fiction, and they're they're awesome. So check out the website, check them out on social. Uh, and, and improv's a great way just to kind of, you know, uh, take some of the stress of a normal day, get rid of it, do something different, open up some new brain waves, some new uh, synapses inside your dome and uh it's always fun so mike thank you so much for being on the show we really appreciate it
1: thank you for having me it's been a blast
0: awesome thanks man take care